Praise the Lord. Jesus is wonderful. Isn't it interesting to see the difference in gifts and anointings when people minister, how different they are? Uh, maybe difference, not the right word, unique. You know, variety. And I think that's something I like to encourage people is to learn how to receive from the different voices that God puts in, in the body. Because it took me a while to learn that. I really, I really struggled in the beginning of my ministry because I would have guest speakers in who were exactly like me. And then I had, I had a speaker in one time that I realized he, he didn't preach anything but what I'd already preached it to the people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Repetition's good, right? Mm -hmm. But my thought was I, I probably could have preached those three messages better. <laughs> you know, and you sit there and you look at that and you think, well, Lord, Lord, and I, what am I missing? And I sought the Lord and the Lord began to, uh, because now I've made myself vulnerable. Many times he's not going to tell you what you need because you're not asking him. He just lets you go about your business. And, uh, but you seek the Lord and you can obtain or acquire, yeah. right? Right, Bob? That's right. And so I, I asked the Lord, you know, what, what I was doing wrong. The Lord showed me this beautiful reality in the body of Christ of the unique anointings. And the ones that I need are generally the ones that rub me. You know, the, the ones that like preaching need a good teacher in their life from time to time. The ones that like teaching need preached at from time to time, right? And the ones that are really doctrine oriented and word for word for word need a prophet to God to come in and just blow your brains out. <laughs> and so I appreciate that about uh, uh, these meetings that you understand that They're, the spirit of God speaks through different vessels. Well, I'm really blessed because uh, today or th in this session, I've asked Pastor Sidney to speak and and I I like. And I wanted to say these things so that we catch it in the spirit and have respect for what God's doing in this week. And, you, and that you draw on the anointing that's on his life. And uh, because in many ways, and I see that, and, I'm, and it's kind of hard to say this without being at a certain angle, but I, I see a lot of myself in him. But I see a lot of what's in me in him coming out different. And that's what excites me. Because some of the principles that you learn to allow the Spirit of God to, 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 to guide your decisions in ministry. To allow the spiritual decisions to work out in the natural. It isn't easy for some. But I've seen him rise up to that. And, and I put him through the paces. Intentionally. I mean, one of the first ones I watched was he went to Africa with a dear friend of mine, Bruce Latibue. And he got, got, got back and I asked Bruce, I said, well, how'd the young pup do? And he said, well, he puked his guts out and never complained. I said, okay, that's good to know. <laughs> and uh, he had a hard time, but he didn't complain. And uh, so I, I'm really excited to receive from what God's working in him and through him. And, and uh, I don't want to take too much time, but uh, I wasn't going to have him minister. 
but God specifically plugged him in. And the very, within the hour of God giving me that instruction, God spoke to him. And that is a confirmation to me that we're out of the flesh and into the spirit. And I, I don't say those things just to make it sound melodramatic. I, make it, I say those things that we respect what God's doing because I don't want you to miss it. Just as much as something just happened a few minutes ago, uh, I'm not going to give out all the thunder, but a, a big part of the theme of what I'll be teaching tonight through the week is discipleship. And, and uh, Neil jumps up and says, you know, there's this guy discipled when he was 17 years old, and, uh, and he's going to be here tomorrow. Oh, tonight. Tonight. And then all day tomorrow. And I'm, I'm just, I mean, my goosebumps had goosebumps. I, I like to talk about those so that people are aware. God's up to something. Amen. And so I know God deposited a, a fresh word to Sydney. He said he did. So come and bless the people. Amen. Amen. Love you, brother. Well, good afternoon. It is so good to be here with you and to experience the goodness of God through you. As I look into your faces and see what the Lord is doing in each one of you and realize that, you know what, the power of God is still active. The Spirit of God is still active around the earth because we've come from all around the earth to this time and place this week. And I believe that the Lord... <laughs> has brought us to this week with special assignments, you've already said it, that are going to be released, and in, in particular, to our young people. I, <laughs> I've been talking to the Lord a lot this last week, and I've, been, I've had a request in with Him, and I've said, Lord, I'm going to deliver what you've given me to deliver, but I need you to do something for me. I need you to help me channel the emotion that just wants to bubble over when I talk about this into words, into a message, <laughs> so that I don't just stand up here and cry the whole time because that's not going to benefit you anything. And the Lord's going to help me do that. You know, I believe that you and I, we have been created for an hour such as this. That we were put at this time, in this very unique time in 2021, that nothing like this time has been experienced before. And we can look at the Apostle Paul and we can say, well man, if Paul would have just been born in this time, imagine what he could have done with, with, with social media and with the internet and with technology and, and airplanes. Well, the truth is, he wouldn't be as effective to this generation as you are to this generation because the Lord didn't put Paul now, he put you now. So you and I, we're going to gather together, we're going to stand up, and we're going to take, take on and hit the mark exactly what the Lord has given to us to do. And just in a nutshell, for the entire week of what I'll be teaching, is it's all based out of the Great Commission and answering that call. And I know that some of you have entered into this realm of ministry, you've entered into the fivefold, you've entered into the mission field, you've, you've answered the call of God in your life, but where's the next generation? It's time that our children, if you're under 40 years old in this house, stand up. 
This is the future of this church, of the body. I'm not talking about CWI, I'm talking about the church. And there is an impartation that's going to happen this week. There's an awakening that's happening from the smallest child to the 39-year-old. And we're going to go out of here with a renewed zeal and fire and determination. And the rest of you that are sitting, that are 40 or more, we're going to be helping and equipping them. And we're going to do it together. Someone say together. Together. You may be seated. I have a question for you. This is not a trick question. Is there anybody here that is not confident that you are going to heaven? Is there anyone here that's like, I'm not sure if I go to heaven if I die right now? If that's you, raise your hand. Okay, was there any hands? I I didn't see any. The reason I ask that question, because what I say next, I want you to understand that this message is not to scare you, is not to frighten you, it is to motivate you. I'm talking to a people that are all going to heaven. I'm talking to a people that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And so we're not looking, we're not trying this morning to get your name written into the Lamb's book of life. We're doing something different. I'm going to present to you a reality, and that is the reality of hell. There is a hell to shun. There is a heaven to gain. And if we would just get the reality of hell into us, we would be the greatest evangelist that any generation has ever seen. I really believe that. So what you hear this tonight, it's not morning, it's not night, it's afternoon, wherever we are. What you hear this afternoon, I want you to let it get into your spirit and motivate you to do something about it. I'm standing here as... as Apostle Dale already said because the Lord assigned me with something. I, I was out on a run, and um, I like to run, and I was listening to an old sermon of Apostle Dale's, and it's running along, and suddenly the Lord just real strong dropped something on the inside of me, several things to minister at the landmark. Well, I wasn't scheduled to speak, I wasn't planning on speaking, landmark's just a few weeks away, I'm sure all the speaker's schedule is set, um, that can't be right. And it just just grew with every step. This thing just grew. And the Lord started speaking to me and He said, I want you to go to the landmark and I want you to teach them about the reality of hell. And I want you to raise up that new generation and put the fire of God in them to go and do and accomplish what I'm sending you to do. And so I submit, I slowed down actually because I was overwhelmed honestly. I was crying. I said, all right, Lord, I'm willing, but you're going to have to tell Apostle Dale because I'm not. And if you want me to speak, I'm willing to, but you have to arrange it, and I kept on running. Finished my run, and I cooled down, and I went into the house, and I sat down at the computer and pulled up my emails, and there was an email from Apostle Dale asking me to minister, and he said, we're going to raise up this new generation and that we're going to accomplish the Great Commission. And I said, yes, Lord. (laughs) So what I'm telling you, I want you to grab a hold of it. I'm sure there's better sermons that will have been preached about hell. I've never just had a whole sermon on this topic before. 
But the Lord's going to get across into us what He wants to, and He's going to build things in, inside of us. He's the teacher. And this past weekend, I, uh, yeah, on Sat- Saturday, I guess it was, I was at a funeral in Missouri, and a um, friend, acquaintance, had passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. He was 47 years old. And, and so my sister was explaining to my three-year-old nephew about hell and what hell is and what heaven is. And as she explained to him the reality of hell, and she said that's where the devil is. Or no, she said that's where Satan is. And he bursts into tears and begins to cry. And she's like, why are you crying? He said, well, I don't want Satan to go to hell. Of course, he didn't realize and understand who Satan was. But I'm telling you, if you and I can grab that same compassion for humanity, that there is a lost and dying world all around us and they're all bound to go to a fiery pit by default. Every man, woman, and child that's alive right now, that's, that is being born into the earth, by default, they're all headed to the pit, to fire, to brimstone, to sulfur, to smoke, to forever being separated from God. Except unless they receive divine revelation about who Jesus is. And just like Jesus, the substitutionary work that He did at the cross, that's something that's exclusive to Jesus. You and I can't do that. But you know what? He assigned something to us that He can't do. And that's preach the Gospel. And by preach, I mean tell. I don't mean... We're not all ordained to stand in the pulpit and preach and teach, but we are all ordained to go and tell, to be a witness, to declare the good news, and to bring the love of God to everyone that's around us. Go with me, if you would, over to Hebrews chapter 6. The good thing is, is that I didn't hear Apostle Dale say when my time was up, so I guess it goes all the way until 5 when we eat. Hebrews 6, and let's look at verse 1. I'm going to read from the New King James right now in these verses. Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. And he lists six foundational doctrines that we'll read in just a moment. But what I want you to understand is these foundational doctrines, they're elementary doctrines. They're doctrines that even the children can understand. And they're doctrines that are vital to our foundation for the church to go on and accomplish what it needs to accomplish. I'm telling you, if we could see what's on the other side of the mountain that we're facing, we'd move that mountain. He goes on, he says this is the uh, foundation. Number one is the doctrine, repentance from dead works. Number two, doctrine of faith toward God. Number three is the doctrine of baptisms. Number four is the doctrine of laying on of hands. Number five is the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And number six is the doctrine of eternal judgment. But we don't like to talk about this much because we recognize that it's the good news. It's not the bad news that delivers people from darkness. It's not telling people you're going to hell. That brings, that's not what brings them into the revelation 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you and I, who've already been translated from darkness into light, have to have the reality of that within us that these people all around us are not going to hell because we're just lazy, fat Christians and aren't telling them. Aren't telling them the good news of what Jesus has done for them. There is so much power that comes to bear when you simply tell someone the good news. And we're going to talk more about that in the sessions of coming up of how the Lord empowers that. And as you just, if you'll just step out of the boat and trust Him to do what He said He would do, and you do your part, you just see most the most amazing things that are happening. You know, the doctrine of hell shouldn't be used to beat people up. It shouldn't be used to scare people into heaven. Yes, there is a hell, and it's, it's not any place that you want to go, but it ought to motivate you and I because we have a debt, a debt of love to the Father, a debt of love to our fellow man. We are all called, someone say, I am called, I am called. to be an evangelist. I don't mean the office of an evangelist, okay? I'm talking about a personal evangelist. We are all called to be an evangelist to those that we come into contact with. You know, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I like what Levere Sofer said one time. He said, if you're not fishing, you're not following. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Because Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I remember we had a lady that came into our church and, and she was so thrilled to find this body and she was so thrilled to find such great teaching and, and almost every sermon she would either come to me in person or send me an email, she was an elderly lady, and tell me how great I was and how this was the best message she'd ever heard in her life. And if you listen to her, I didn't walk on water. I walked about eight feet above it. And every sermon, I'm telling you, this went on for a couple months and till I started preaching a series about evangelism. And how that we are required. We have a debt. We owe a debt to what's been paid for us to share with others. She came and she said, I, didn't, I don't like that because I'm not called to speak to people and talk to people. I'm just called to pray. And I said, well, then you probably need to get saved. And she doesn't come to the church anymore. She didn't come back. If you have been transferred from darkness to light, each one of us have a responsibility to walk in the Great Commission. And I know that some of us will major in an area. You might major as an intercessor. You might major as a preacher. You might major in, in, in business, wherever it is. But in our daily walk, we are touching people. We are ministering the love of God to people. We're looking for opportunities to deliver them from certain destruction. There is 7.8 billion people on the planet right now. 7.8 billion. In, that's doubled since 1972. That's 49 years. It has doubled. 
If we backed up a hundred years and took the, all the population from the beginning of time to a hundred years ago and added them all together, it wouldn't add up to 7.8 billion that's on the earth right now. This generation has the greatest responsibility of any generation that's ever been. And our young people in here, our millennials, our, our college age people, you guys are the ones that are going to take this and you're going to see the greatest revival I think that's ever been on this planet. And it's going to be because we have people that stand up and are bold. We have people that are willing to declare forth the goodness of God and it doesn't matter what people think around us. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of the store or, I mean, come on, we're afraid to get laughed at so that they can go burn in hell. I said by default, these 7.8 billion people. I, and I understand, you know, if a little child um, or a baby, you know, dies, that their spirit goes to be with the Lord. I, I, I get that. But they're going to reach the age of accountability. And if they don't make that decision to follow the Lord, by default, they simply are destined for destruction. Ephesians 2, 3 says, We were by nature children under wrath, as were others also. It says we were all by nature this way. This was our default setting. And this single realization ought to make us into such great evangelists. You know, two people die, approximately two people die every second. Two people. If you've been in, in if you belong to CWI, you've been in home groups probably, and you, you, we've been talking about that a lot. But every two seconds, people go to be with Jesus. And if you start adding that up, that means about by the time this sermon is over, 7,200 people around this planet went to, go, I, I say be with Jesus, went into eternity. Because most of them aren't going to be with Jesus. And if we just look at one day, that's 172,800 people in one day, 24 hours, several stadiums full of people that are just going into eternity, just going into eternity. That's 63 million people per year. That's too big to grasp, isn't it? I mean, we can't really picture a million people, let alone 63 million, that have been created in the likeness and image of God. That God destined to be his image bearers in the earth and creators in the earth and to bringing the goodness of God and bringing heaven to earth. And yet, there is 63 million people that are going into eternity. And if you look at the numbers, there's about 30% of people on the planet right now would call themselves Christians. And that's including, you know, Catholics, Orthodox, anyone who calls themselves a Christian. So how many of the 30% of the 7.8 billion that are on the planet right now, how many of them are truly born again and would actually go to be with Jesus if they died? I mean, 10% is probably being generous. So you're telling me that 63 million people a year, only 10% of them are going to be with the Father? It's sobering, isn't it? You know, we're not going to give an account for what our dads did or didn't do. We're going to give an account for what we're doing. What have you done with the gospel? What have I done? And, and understand that I'm talking to myself first. Okay? This, this is for me as much as anyone else here. 
I'm not presenting it to you like I've been doing this and where are the rest of you? I'm saying we as a church need to wake up and grab it by the horns and go right into what the Lord wants us and has created for us to do. You know, there's only two kinds of people in the earth today. There's only two kinds. Those that are going to hell and those that are going to heaven. There is no middle ground. And everyone that we walk past, are we just content with going, I don't know, someone else probably told them. Second Corinthians 4, 3 says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves because of Jesus. But God said, let light shine out of darkness. It has shone in our hearts and give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So this light, he says, now we have this in, in these clay vessels. We have this treasure in, in this body, the light of the gospel. You know, if we just stayed in a natural mind, we'd go, well, how's that even possible? I know him, he's got way too many faults. But thank God that he has dealt with that issue too. And he has made it possible. If you'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll read a few verses. In verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, all new things have come. And we often read that verse, and we rejoice, and we go, this is great. You know, I am a new creation in Christ. I have a brand new spirit. All my sins are passed away. But you know, He didn't just recreate you to have a good time and now be your own. He recreated you and assigned you with a task. And let's keep reading and we'll see what that task is. He says, now everything is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we were created new. And that's part of what the new was because before there was no ministry of reconciliation. And now that the new has come, there is a ministry of reconciliation that we can be right with God and we can please Him. Let's keep reading. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Someone say, He has committed this message of reconciliation to me. It depends on me and my obedience. See, if the church just says, well, we're not going to do it, God's in trouble. He's dependent upon the church to do what they're supposed to do. Just like we're dependent upon Him. And you say, no, well, God can do whatever He wants to do. No, He's actually set restrictions in place. He's set it to work a certain way. And yeah, I know that even if you decide that I'm not going to, to, to preach the gospel, I'm not going to tell people, I'm going to walk away from the Lord, that sure, the Lord will raise other people up, but there's going to be a meeting someday with the Father. And in that meeting, you're going to be asked some questions about 
that large group of people over there that's in hell that should have heard and didn't because we didn't tell them. It's a lot more fun to teach and preach things that make us want to clap and dance. But I don't want to make you guys comfortable today. I want to make you uncomfortable. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And that means that we have citizenship from somewhere else. We have our DNA from somewhere else. That we're here representing something. We're representing Christ, the light of the world that now is in us and we are the light of the world. Jesus said you are the light of the world, right? So now we as these ambassadors of light, these ambassadors of little Christs all over the world, certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So working together with Him, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. What does it mean to receive God's grace? That's God's ability, God's help, His divine empowerment. What does it mean to receive that in vain? It means you became saved, but didn't do anything with it. It's just sitting there, dormant. He goes on, and he says, in an acceptable time I heard you, and in the day of salvation I heard you. Look, now is the acceptable time, and look, now is the day of salvation. He was writing this to saved people. He wasn't trying to get them born again. He was trying to get them motivated to do something with the grace they had been given to minister it to their fellow man. <clears throat> Say, I am. A minister of reconciliation. You know, in the New Testament, there are 31 plus separate teachings about hell. And oftentimes, if you'll go find those 31 times, hell is mentioned numerous times in those teachings then. I'm not saying there's 31 words of hell in the New Testament. I'm saying 31 separate teachings about hell. And Jesus personally taught on hell more than anyone else. He, you can find in the Gospels and in Revelation 15 separate teachings that Jesus taught about hell. 15 of them. And you remember the Apostle John, the disciple John. What, what's John known for? Love. That's right. John's known for being this loving guy. I mean, read 1 John. Right? And it's just full of love. And, and you read the Gospel of John and it's full of love. Well, guess who the second most teachings about hell came from? Came from John. The guy who loved people enough that he didn't want them to go there. Go with me over to Luke chapter 16. There's two things that are certain. One is the judgment of God and the second is the reality of hell. In Luke chapter 16, I'm going to read it all and then we'll come back and begin to talk about it. There was a certain rich man in, in verse 19 
There was a certain rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a certain poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment, in hell, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all of this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who would want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Well, Father, he said, then I beg you to send Send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. You know, there are certain truths that we can learn about the reality of death and hell as we read this passage. This passage is not, um, it's not a fantasy story that Jesus is telling them. This is an actual man that went to an actual hell. This is, was Abraham real? Yeah, okay. So then the rest of these guys were as well. And the very first thing that we can see is everybody will cross the threshold from time into eternity. There's not a man, woman, or child in here today or on this planet today that is not going to cross that threshold from time into eternity. Some of us sooner, some of us later, but it's coming. In fact, let's play a video. I want you to look at a short video. You've probably seen it before, but it'll make a good point. All right, when you find it. The second thing that you'll notice here is that the angels escorted the righteous to paradise. That the angels escorted the righteous to their reward. That's going to be fun, isn't it? I mean, I'm talking to a bunch of righteous here. That the angels come. I I think I'm going to ask for an additional tour on the way up. You know, take me past this planet. I'd like to see this star on the way. It's going to be great. We also see that, number three, the righteous are rewarded and the wicked are punished in a place of torment. We see that Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom in paradise, but the rich man, what does it say? It says that he died and he was buried and he is in torment in hell. He's not having a good time. For all the people around us that say, well, I'm just going to go to hell and hang out with my friends because that's where they are, not going to happen. Are you ready with that? Stay around the room 
And, uh, but I'm going to use a rope now because I can't find that computer paper. Um, imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I, look, I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just this crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line. And I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining because I'm straining forward. I'm like stretching forward for that mark. I'm going to pass this thing. I'm going to live this out. And I'm going to face him. I'm going to come before the judges. And he's going to hand me that trophy. He goes, I'm going to get it. And I haven't gotten there yet. He goes, but I, you better believe I'm using every muscle, exerting every bit about me. Because I'm going to pass that line well. And then he says, brothers, join in imitating me. He goes, imitate me. Do what I'm doing right now. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes on what? On those who walk, not those who talk. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
for many of whom I've often told you, you and now tell you even with tears. This should serve as a realigning of our focus. A realignment of our focus on what's important. Why we're put here. We weren't put here to get our own honor, to to build up a huge bank account. We weren't put here to have nice vacations. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but I'm saying those can't be our focus. Because if those things are our focus and we get our eyes off of the important thing, well, you see how silly that really is just by the illustration of the rope. Everybody, I said, is going to cross the threshold from time into eternity. The fourth thing that we can see here in this story of the rich man in hell is that consciousness is going to remain even after death. Right? They had conversations. They're, they're, he was able to see. He wasn't just, didn't just go into nothing. When somebody dies, they go somewhere. The fifth thing is after death that we can see is that you retain your memory, your reason, and your logic. Right? He remembers Lazarus. He, he's still treating him like he used to. And so, he has all those faculties still about him. Is there a closing time? I mean, I never did hear one. Four. All right. Well, we'll just uh, we'll take off here tomorrow, and uh, we'll just continue in this vein tomorrow. And and I promise you, as we go through the week, there will be more shouting material as we go. All right. Amen. Thank you. Amen. I'm not sure about shouting material. I think some of it's good to have weeping material. Uh, I, I I think that's all right too, isn't it? Amen. So we can shout, we can, we can weep, we can love on one another. To me, I'm just fascinated to see what God's put on these men's hearts as they minister to us and uh, keep it in mind uh, as it builds because there's a clear theme here and uh, we're going to be used of God to do our, our part in changing this world. Amen. Amen. Well, we close, Lord, by asking your favor and your blessing, even as we fellowship for this bit of time and as we gather to to have a meal together. Bless the hands that are working even now on the food and the preparation, that, that it be a real rejoicing, a real time of fellowship. We honor you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.